Uh, let me ask you guys a question. We're going to get into our study, continuing study through Luke. But a question for you first. What comes to your mind when I mention the name Zacchaeus? <laughs> the, 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 the wee little man. Yeah, exactly. I was on the phone with David Arms this week and I said, he said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm studying. You know, we're in, in our study through Luke. We come to Zacchaeus and the, the next words out of his mouth, the wee little man, you know, and, and, and then back here uh, last night, I grabbed Carl before we came out and Carl was going to pray. And I said, Carl, before you pray, let me tell you where we are when we're in, in uh, Zacchaeus. It's a very evangelistic text. And Carl said, you want me to sing the song? You know, I mean, we all get that. And I do that. I did that with this story. What happens is we take a Bible story. Those of us who maybe grew up around the church and we grab a piece of the story. And can I say this? Oftentimes we grab a, an insignificant piece, a meaningless piece, not the point of the story piece, and that becomes the story. And, and when we do that, I want to suggest that we've picked up a, a, a spiritual crumb and we've left the feast on the table. And with this story of Zacchaeus, my prayer is that we would think differently, we would think biblically, we would think more truly about this man the way Jesus would have us think about him and the way Luke would have us remember him. First thing we've got to do to get there is go to Luke chapter 18, not 19 yet, Luke 18. Go to Luke 18 verse 24. Bill taught this section two weeks ago. It's about the rich young ruler and Jesus says something here that prepares us for our story. He gives a picture that I don't think you can get out of your mind. Luke 18, verse 24, he's speaking to the rich young ruler in that section and says, and Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. I don't, you can't forget that. I mean, that no one that heard it there can forget it. The can't, I can't, it's the biggest animal they can think of. You know, probably it's, it's seven feet tall at the humps. This thing's 1,500 pounds. And if I was holding, if I were to hold a needle here, I wouldn't be able to see the, the, the hole on the needle, much less you see. I mean, an ant can't get through the eye of a needle. And they got it. Jesus is saying, yeah, this is impossible. And they throw up their hands. And who in the world can be saved? Who, who can get, if it's impossible, who can be saved? And Jesus responds, the things that are impossible with people are possible with God. And he stops and he turns and they continue on their journey to Jerusalem. Now flip over to Luke chapter 19. We're a few days removed from that event, if weeks, we're not, we don't know for sure. And I had us look at those words from Jesus in chapter 18, because if we're going to think differently and I think correctly about Zacchaeus, we're going to have to remember that the most important thing about this man was not his stature. It was his salvation. And when you think about the salvation of Zacchaeus, think about it like this. A rich, or, or a, a camel gets pulled through the eye of a needle. That's what happens. In the story we are reading, a camel goes through the eye of a needle right in front of us. And when we step back from it and go, what just happened? How did that happen? Why did that happen? 
then I think we're able to ask ourselves some questions about our own salvation. And I want you to know it, it, it causes us to think and ponder, not just back then, so to speak, maybe when you believed, but I'm talking about what does this mean for me right now, today? Contextually, Michael took us to the gates of Jericho last week, okay? So we were 18, the back end of chapter 18. And, and there were crowds going through Jericho on their way to Jerusalem. And there was a blind man on the road. And in that lesson, we learned that this blind man saw something that thousands with sight couldn't see, didn't see. That this rabbi, Jesus, is the son of David. He's the Messiah, the Savior. Geographically now, we're not on the road outside or going to Jericho. We are now in Jericho. And we're going to take it just a little section at a time. Look with me in your Bibles. Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. We'll go through 1 through 4. He, that's Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him for he was about to pass through that way. We'll stop there. The camel, if you will, in our story is a man named Zacchaeus. And so to stick with the metaphor, I want you to, to, to get this picture in your mind. Zacchaeus is a big, fat, bloated, hairy camel. I assure you, when they thought of him, they being the people on the road and even the original readers, they weren't thinking wee little man. No, no, no. They're thinking despicable man. They're, they're thinking we can't stand the way he makes his living his morals are off the chart, bad. They lived with a disdain, quite frankly, for this chief tax collector. In the words of Daffy Duck, because you'll remember this one, he's what? Despicable, right? You know, that's, he's, he, I can't even, I don't even like to say his name. They had a massive disdain. Chief tax collector meant he owned the tax franchise for Jericho, quite lucrative. It's on this major byway. Means underneath him were tax collectors who would gather taxes from the Jews and he would take skim off of that all the way up to him. It's how he made his wealth. He was a Jew who sold his soul to the Romans. You talk about despicable, you know. They hated the Romans. And this guy sold his soul to them and then he made his wealth on the back of every Jew in the area. What Luke wants us to see, and I think feel in a sense is, oh my goodness, this, this, this is a camel that can't go through the needle for sure. And it's worth us noting, can I say this? And I think Luke sets a story up in this way. That you can't make yourself bad enough to be beyond the reach of the gospel. That's what he's showing us here. You can't, you can't make it to where you're beyond the reach of the gospel of the love of Christ and his forgiveness. No one, no one is beyond it. 
Now, he can't, he can't get a spot on the road, okay? The, the rabbi's coming through. There's thousands of people, as Michael said. And he can't get a spot. And in part, he can't get a spot because no one will give it to him. I mean, no, you, no, you can't have my spot, you. <laughs> it's not just he's short. They don't like him. And so he goes on ahead and he climbs a sycamore tree. It's a sycamore fig. If you look up here, you know, it's, a, it's certainly it's not this tree by any means, but it's a, this is a sycamore. Don't think of it as the ones that, you know, the white ones with the white bark. It's not that. It's a Palestinian sycamore fig. And it, it is a large tree. It's got low branches and it does have large leaves. And I would say it's one place that Zacchaeus may be able to see Jesus pass by and no one else see him from that vantage point. Verse five, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, the crowds, they all began to grumble saying, he's gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. That's a very nice word they're using to describe what they really think of Zacchaeus. How did Jesus know his name? Now, we don't know, okay? We can't be definitive. We don't know, but he certainly could have known it supernaturally, just like he knew Nathaniel's name before Nathaniel ever came. So he could certainly do that. But I think it's more natural than that in light of the message, in light of the story itself. I want to suggest that thousands of people around Zacchaeus is in the tree. I want to see that people saw Zacchaeus. And when they saw Zacchaeus, what are you doing up in the tree? Of all, why do you want to see the rabbi of all the people? Go, go back in your hole. And in that way, Jesus would have known, of course, and Jesus already knew, knew his name. And it makes what Jesus says, I think, more powerful in a sense because they're, they're, you know, go back in your hole. And I'm not saying the text says they said go back in your hole, but I'm saying that it certainly could have. Because when Jesus says this, I think it carries even extra weight. Jesus looks up and says, Zacchaeus, come down because I'm going to spend the night in your hole. <laughs> I'm going to your house. And everyone goes berserk when they consider the rabbi is going to stay with Zacchaeus. Uh, he says, I must stay in your home. It's a divine imperative. Uh, when, when, when this phrase, I must, is used by Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, it always speaks to that which he must do. And it always speaks of that which he must do to save men. Luke 4, 43, I must preach the kingdom. Divine imperative. Luke 9, 22, the son of man must suffer many things. Divine imperative. He says, I must journey to Jerusalem. And in 24, seven, he says, the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified and rise again on the third day. Now in this text today, he's speaking to Zacchaeus and he says, I must stay in your house tonight. Why was this necessary? Why the divine imperative here? We're going to see in just a moment. You know, the crowd's all upset and it's understandable, right? Can't believe he's staying with this guy. Now, there's something deeper underneath this. Culturally, 
You know, they, the community was everything in, in, in that culture. It still is in many regards. And so when a dignitary or someone important would come through your town or your village, the community would determine where they stay. And you see, when, when the community chose that, I, I, trust me, depending on what they thought of the person, they're going to find an appropriate home to say, you know, this is what we think of you and, you know, we, we highly regard you, etc. But flipping culture on its head, what happens in this story? The community doesn't choose where, Jesus chooses where he will stay. Who's in, who's running this show? I mean, who's in charge of this thing? Jesus is. You know, if we were to have President Obama visit and, and uh, you know, what if we put him up down at, you know, the thrifty inn down somewhere on, I don't know, Dickerson Pike. I don't want, hard to name a name because I don't want to offend anybody. But, you know, you put him down there in some nowheresville, right? And some of you are going, exactly, it's exactly where I put that, that You missed the point. You totally missed the point on that. No, we put him in a, you put him where it, the office deserves, the man deserves it. And so now the crowd, you see, they're going, oh my gosh, this is not, you're making us look bad. And the, the anger, the, 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 the vitriolic, you know, anger turns from the guy in the tree to who? Who are they angry at now? Is it just, I mean, just subtle in the story is an interesting. So Zacchaeus goes, wait, they were all mad at me and now they're all mad at him. He's, by what he did, he took their anger on himself away from Zacchaeus. Verse 8. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. The Greek says, not I will give. The Greek literally says, I am giving. It's a present tense. It's a futuristic presence. Now, you got to keep this in mind. When, he, when, when Jesus says, I'm going to lodge with you, and he did, this was not a sleepover, okay? This was a saving kind of fellowship. I'm going to be with you, accept you, you see. And Zacchaeus received him gladly. And so the, the, the certainty of what happened in that moment is now expressed in what Zacchaeus does. And it's so certain that there's been a change in him and that that change expresses itself this way, even though he's not doing it in the moment, I am giving, I will. He says it in a sense that tells us it's that certain that I'll say it like I am because it's that true, it's that sure. How in the world does a conniving, stealing, you know, lying, hoarding man flip the switch and become... A philanthropist, giving, distributing, letting go. How does that happen? Jesus doesn't leave us guessing. Look at verse 9. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. Men and women, in, in, you know, I'll, I'll use these words, Zacchaeus is saved. Zacchaeus is born again. Zacchaeus is regenerate. Zacchaeus is a Christian. Zacchaeus is in the kingdom. Like that. He's a son of David. He believed what the blind man believed. You know, all Jews, 
are sons of Abraham in terms of lineage, in terms of DNA, in terms of blood. But you know, the Jews thought because we're sons of Abraham by birth, we're in. Very early on in the gospel of Luke and in Jesus's ministry, he looks at him and says, do not say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. And he goes on to say, look, I can make, I can make sons of Abraham out of these stones. See, being, being a Jew by blood doesn't get you in. Paul clarifies that in Galatians 3, 7, when he says to some Jews who thought, hey, we're Jewish, we're sons of Abraham, we're in the kingdom. And Paul says, therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. You know, technically, please understand this, only sons and daughters of Abraham are in heaven. And you know, you and I look at each other and go, you know, I'm not Jewish, we're not Jewish. Well, only sons and daughters of Abraham are in heaven and they're only sons who are sons and daughters by faith, by faith in Christ. Everyone's standing in disbelief. I mean, they can't believe what just happened. And so Jesus ends this story by telling us why these events just happened. Look at verse 10. Because for purpose, the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Why the divine must of verse five? Why must I stay in your house today? Because that's what Jesus does. He seeks and saves the lost. And on, can I say this? On that day, quite frankly, before the foundations of the world, he knew on that day would be the day of Zacchaeus's salvation because Jesus seeks and saves the lost. Listen, y'all step back from that story and, and everyone, everyone get this. A camel has just passed through the eye of a needle. God has done the impossible. Now I want to step back from the story and ask a few questions of ourselves or make a few points. I got two I'm going to give you in light of time. Two things I want you to consider when you see this story of salvation. First would be this, when any person comes to faith in Christ, they come not because they went looking, but because Jesus seeks and saves. Understand this, when, we, when a person comes to believe, which many of us in the room have believed, that happens not because we go looking and find, but because Jesus seeks and saves. You got to keep, keep in mind what the Bible teaches in the whole of the Bible and in a passage that can't be any clearer, okay? So it's not one of those oblique passages that you kind of go, I'm, we're all not sure what this means. No, no, no. This means what it says. Romans 3.10, there is none, no, not one, not one, none who seek God. None. Ephesians 2, we're dead in our trespasses and sin. Well, 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 what are we to make of this though? Wait a minute, Zacchaeus was seeking God. I mean, Zacchaeus is running, climbing, doing things that men don't do in that culture. No question. Zacchaeus, you know, it says he, he wanted to see who Jesus was. There's something at work in Zacchaeus. But can I suggest what's at work in Zacchaeus is the work of the Spirit. It's Jesus wooing and seeking to save him. Let's be, let's be very careful here. Why was, why was Zacchaeus up in the tree? Okay, because he wanted to know who Jesus was. Got it. You always have to ask the second question. Why did he want? Why did he even want 
to know who Jesus was. Because Jesus was seeking to save him. But y'all, this, this is not a chicken and the egg question. I mean, which came first, chicken or the egg? I don't know which came first, chicken. No, 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 this is, a, this is a, there's something that always comes first. And who always comes first is God in our salvation. Unless God had chosen to reveal himself, make himself known. Unless he had moved in such a way to enliven our dead hearts, to open our blind eyes, we would not know him. He initiates our salvation. And so I want to suggest there are two ways that we kind of understand our salvation. The first would be this. When I came to faith, I was 18 years old, and I, and I believed, you know, there was a point in time, and I've told this story before, where I'm reading this little tract, and I, it, it's just like my, I, I don't know how to explain it, but it made sense to me. Oh my, I'm going away from God. God loves me. I'm and he sent his son to die for me. I'm going to turn to God. I was just believing this in my mind. So I'm turning to you, God, because I believe it makes sense to me. Jesus died on the cross for my sin because my sin deserves death. But Jesus said, Lloyd, I'll take your sin and I'll pay the penalty. He died. He was buried and raised again. And because I'm trusting what Jesus did, God, you're, you saved me based on what Jesus did. I believed that in, in a moment. And can I tell you this? When I believed it, in my heart, it was kind of like, I found Jesus. You remember the big campaign years ago in the 70s? I found it. I found Jesus. Now, hear me on this. That's okay right there when you first believe. But as you mature in your faith, as you come to understand the history of redemption, our incapacity, our state of lostness, lost by the way in this passage, that word lost doesn't mean like you lost your keys. It means ruined, devastated, destroyed. We understand that place we are. You see, when you grow and understand the gospel and salvation and substitutionary atonement and all this kind of stuff that I didn't understand when I first believed, I think your prevailing perspective becomes not, I found Jesus, but found me. Oh, 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 I was looking, but it's only because he was finding me. He put the look for in me. And I want to ask you to consider, those of you who know Christ, is your understanding of your salvation more about what you did or about all that Jesus did to find you? Oh, that's I'm going to tell you when you start singing from the inside out how good he is. When the, when the light goes on, he found me. It's all about you, God. There's a second thing I want us to consider. When the heart is transformed by grace, our acts of obedience are often indistinguishable from our acts of rejoicing. Let me say that again. What I'm suggesting from this story is... When, when, when God saves us, we're genuinely rescued from our, the wrath of God and regenerate and born again. It's hard to distinguish obedience from rejoicing. They look the same. Think about Zacchaeus. 
He responded to the invitation of Christ, come down, I must stay at your house. He hurried and came down and received him, received Jesus gladly with rejoicing. J.C. Ryle says this, it's precisely at this point that the conversion of Zacchaeus seems to have taken place. And I agree with him. I believe in the text, Zacchaeus is is saved in verse six. And then the expression of that salvation is verse eight. And you notice, I won't go into the details, but he goes way beyond the law. See, the law said if you do this, you do 20%. That's general. The law said if you do something, then you return this. No, he just, he just goes, what? He just goes way beyond the law. Why? I want to suggest this, because when you are transformed by grace, your obedience, can I, if I can say it this way, you don't care what the law says. You're going to respond to the grace of Christ. And there's no measurement like, okay, now, if I, now oh, the law says do these three, I'm going to do this. So you don't, you don't count your obedience. You rejoice in it. And when you read verse 8, I don't think there is a whiff of reluctance, of sadness. I'm giving it up. Okay, okay, I'll give you none of that. Which is why I'm suggesting for you and I, when we know We've been found by God and it cost him everything and every spiritual blessing is ours. When, we, when that begins to overwhelm us, men and women, our obedience looks a lot like rejoicing and it's hard to distinguish the two. I was recently made aware of a camel through the eye of a needle story. I, I wasn't aware of this until recently. Uh, two weeks ago, I got a call from a guy named Scott Hunter, and actually my administrative assistant got it and sent me the note and said, there's a guy in Cincinnati who is calling, wants to talk to you. He, they used to be members at Fellowship, and, and uh, he's in Cincinnati now, and he said his wife's dying, and she's going to die within hours, and would you come up there? And I said, gosh, tell me, who, tell me his name, Scott Hunter. I said, well, I, I don't know Scott. And, 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 and to my embarrassment, but you guys understand this, so I, in a church our size, I don't know everyone. And, and, and that's a good thing because even as his story goes, it's not about me or Michael or Bill or any pastor. It's about us. But I called Scott and he said, oh Lord, you, you probably wouldn't remember me, but you'd know me if I saw my face. And sure enough, he sent me a picture. I remember his face and he told me this story. Seven years ago, Scott and Marla were transferred down here with, for a job. Scott was a Christian. Marla, she, she, she had zero faith. Marla did not know Christ. And they moved here and they ended, they ended up moving into a neighborhood and moved right next to Mark and Lauren Hu Young, members here, and John and Lisa Gibson, members here. And then he worked to work for a company. He worked next to Chuck Miner, member here. And over the course of time, Marla Hunter placed her faith in Christ. She believed. And Scott's relating this to me on the phone. He goes, Lord, she... She was a different person. Uh, they moved back to Cincinnati about 18 months ago, almost two years ago. And in October, she was diagnosed with cancer, rare form of cancer in her colon. In early May, they, she had fought it like crazy. It came out full on blasts and it was gone. It was gone. They thought it was over. Well, later in May, uh, it was back. And uh, so that's when I got the call. This is two weeks ago. I go up there on Wednesday, uh, July 18th, Marla Hunter died. 
And I went up a week later to do the funeral. Here's, here's what I want you to know. She knew Christ. And Scott showed me in a, their house the place where she would study her Bible and Bibles because she had multiple Bibles. And if you read her Caring Bridge journal, she just spoke of the gospel and the goodness of God and faith and its suffering. And Lauren, who Young's mom, had actually taken Marla and Lauren through the book of Job. And she would tell you this, that Job was her favorite book. When I did the funeral, you know, most of our family don't know Christ, are not born again, you know. And th- at that funeral, the gospel was so clearly proclaimed. She's got two young kids, nine-year-old, five-year-old, stepson. And Lauren spoke, uh, Lisa spoke, I spoke. And, and, and listen, I was saying what I'm saying, I was just saying, the, this is the gospel. And I was saying, let me tell you what Marla would say. It's not important what I say. Let me tell you what Marla said. And I read her journal that she believed. And I said, she's not in the casket. She's not there. She's with God. There's no cancer. She is healed. And we can see her again. We believe what she believed. In the book of Hebrews, the writer says this, by faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts through faith. Though he, though he is dead, he still speaks. Marla Hunter, do you understand? She's dead, but I mean, I'm telling her story. She speaks, and she speaks the gospel. Go back in the story. They move here with a job change. They end up in that neighborhood. And Marla Hunter comes to faith. Can I say this? Because Lauren and Lisa, they looked up the tree and there was Marla Hunter and they said, come down. Because men and women God was at work seeking and saving the lost. And God ordains not just the end, but the means. And the means by which Jesus still seeks to save the lost is me and you. Me and you. For Christ lives in us and we continue to seek and save the lost because that's what he does. Two so what's I want you to think about. Really simple out of the passage. Look up. That'd be one thing you can do. The second may be come down. Look up. Let me say this. If God ordains the means, then everywhere Jesus is today, he is seeking to save the lost. <laughs> that means, can I say, get very practical. That means wherever you are, If you know Christ, 
He is seeking to save the lost. That's what he's doing. And by the way, lest we get caught up in other things, I want to be careful here, but there is a first things first. There is keep the main thing, the main thing. I mean, this has been one of those weeks where in the news, you're going, oh, the cultural battles, you know, with the Chick-fil-A and this and that and the other and the shootings in Colorado. Oh my gosh, what do we make of the world? I'm not throwing those things out at all. Those are important things for us to address. But men and women, can I say, there is something that always comes first and, and will ever remain first. And that's this, Seek and save the lost as believers. It's why we're on the planet to seek and save the lost. It's why our mission statement as a church, I mean, the first thing out of my mouth, you know, I say, what's the mission fellowship Bible church? Proclaim Christ. It's the first thing. It's not everything, but let's not get confused. It is the first thing. Some of you are starting school, students. Can I say this to you? When you look at the locker next to you, there's a reason that person's there. And you go in that classroom, you don't know anybody, and you have to sit next to this person. There's a reason that person's there. In your world, can I say this? Everybody look at this tree. There are sycamores in your life. And there are people up there that you have the opportunity to say, come on down. Can I say this? I'll never go by your sycamore tree. <laughs> That's for you. I mean, I don't live in your family. I wasn't born into it. I don't work your job. I'm not in your neighborhood. Do uh, you see that? But all of us, can I say this? God is seeking to save the lost. He puts people up sycamore trees in your world. And we get the opportunity to say, come on down. The second application is that. If you're here today and you've not placed your faith in Christ, that's the message. Just come on down. And you say, well, I'm, I'm not up the sycamore tree. Well, you're in here. That means you're up the sycamore tree. I don't know why you're here, but you're here. The Bible says today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. What do you mean come down the sycamore tree? Believe. Believe what? Believe that Jesus was the son of God who lived the perfect life you couldn't. That he took your sin on himself and he died. He paid the penalty. He was buried and he was raised again. And when you believe that, when you trust it, when you put your confidence in that, the Bible says you are born again. You are cleansed from all your sin. You're utterly forgiven and your security is in heaven, secure forever. Come on down. Just come on down. Believe it. 